then you're back on the couch. Yeah, it's, you're going to be able to hear me better if I'm on the couch. Yeah, hear you squishing around on the couch. Yeah. Creaking and breaking the structure of the couch with my fat ass. Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> All right. to this this is not like the greatest albums ever made no. like we're not taking into account commercial success or critical reception no. things like that so if you hear something that just does not make sense in those terms that's why it's our favorite albums when yeah, we like, favorite ones we like listening to the most the ones that mean the most to us personally absolutely and this is something that we've we've done like versions of these lists in the past yeah for when we were doing um, our fanzine and uh, various other things, we were contemplating these lists, uh, getting other friends to weigh in who have vastly different musical tastes and things like that. Yeah. Um, when you, how much we? So we did a version of this for um, a website that we did a while ago. Maybe that's probably been. Oh, six or Florida, six or seven so years ago at this yeah, point. Yeah, at least. How how much different is your list uh, now than it was uh, then? I would be willing to bet because I don't have that list in front of me. But right. I'd be willing to bet that there's probably only two or three albums oh, yeah. that are on this list that were on that list. Yeah. So that's another thing to kind of bring up is that um, whenever you're talking about favorites and things like that, like these lists, they're just like a snapshot in time. Especially with something like this, where it's so hard to narrow it down to ten. You and I are both lifelong lovers and uh, of music, and, and music, yeah. yeah, exactly. So like, it was really, really difficult for me to narrow it down to ten. And if you ask me tomorrow or a month from now, or you know, certainly a year from now, there's gonna be there's some fluidity to it. There's there's gonna be changes. Oh, yeah. There's gonna I be mean, there'll be a couple like my favorite's not gonna change. It hasn't changed for yeah. a long time, uh, but. The rest of the list, who knows? Do you want to, um, what were some of the, the hardest omissions for you before we dive in? <sighs> well, there's some really great classic punk rock albums like uh, Operation Ivy's Energy is a huge staple and I still listen to it to this day every now and then. Uh, things like Strike Anywhere's Iron Front was a really mm. close call. Uh, various other things like Led Zeppelin albums, Beatles albums, yeah. Rolling Stones albums that are probably more appropriate for a best albums ever made kind of list, yeah. um, but just are eked out by some other things in my personal favorites list. Yeah. Um, and then also a lot of uh, hip-hop and rap stuff. I don't think I have any hip-hop or rap on my top ten. 
Uh, yeah. It's a tough decision to make because there's, there's no doubt. Calls. Yeah, I, I don't either, and it it kind of it, it bothered me. I was like, man, like I really love hip hop, and like if, if you're just like finding this podcast on iTunes or whatever, if you're just kind of stumbling upon this and you don't know us, like there, I mean. I speak for myself. My, my list is, is uh, pretty heavily punk rock centric. That's kind of what we grew up on. Um, that's kind of what I'm falling back to in terms of my favorite albums. But I also love hip hop. And, and I was like, man, I don't have any in the top ten. And I know that when we did our previous top ten, I know that I put Wu-Tang Forever on my on my old top ten. But this time around, I just couldn't do it. And here's the reason. So, like, um, one thing that... That defines my list when I'm when I'm looking through my list right now is every single album that's on this top ten list. I'm going to tell you, there's not a bad track on these. Oh yeah, it's, you have to definitely look at it from front to back, the whole thing. There's no filler in it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I think kind of held me up with some some hip hop albums that I consider to be like staples and classics that I love is that there tends to be a little bit more filler and when you when you look at it's an album damn skits that everybody <laughs> on their fucking album but yeah but even like um, when you look at Wu-Tang Forever which I love I mean it's a double album so there there's like there's some fluff there and I wanted to um, digress here for a minute and tell you um, have you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible the Jefferson Bible yes yeah, so um, Thomas Jefferson created what he called the Jefferson Bible. So he basically... It sounds familiar. Yeah, so he basically took uh, the regular Bible and basically cut, basically like condensed it into version. his own version, which was <laughs> Gee, basically... I've never heard of anybody doing that before. Leaving in the morality aspects but and removing all kind of the supernatural occurrences. And he called it the Jefferson Bible. Um, so I basically took Wu-Tang Forever and I trimmed it down into what would be a single album. <laughs> and if and this, this would be undoubtedly one of the best rap albums of all time if they had just had uh, the kind of the foresight to condense it from two to one well yeah it's kind of hard when you have nine people in your group plus like two to three different like almost pseudo members like Capadonna and people like that where right. including all these people and giving all of them their opportunity that's a great point not every track I didn't consider that and I didn't um like look at the uh, tra tracks here to to figure out maybe who's getting cut out. But I'm saying, look, if you went, if you just took like the last thirty seconds of Wu Revolution as the intro, which is just kind of like the uh, Shaolin skit part of it or whatever. Um, Reunited for heaven's sake, cash still rules, visions as high as Wu Tang get, severe punishment, a better tomorrow, it's yours, and then the intro to side B is like an interlude. To Triumph, Impossible, Little Ghetto Boys, <laughs> Deadly Melody, The Projects, The MGM, Dog Shit, and The Closing. Boom. You got 18 tracks. Well, it's like 60. everybody on that one. Yeah. It's like 67 minutes. Tell me that wouldn't be like one of the best albums. Yeah, ever. that's pretty awesome. And wow. it goes from 27 tracks to 18, uh, just over an hour. Like that would be, that would be sweet. But yeah, pretty much um, all, my, all my things here are kind of more punk rock. I, I don't have... Any Green Day on the list? I don't have any No Effects, Big Wig, Propagandi. Those were some of the hardest ones for me to, yeah. to leave off. Well, and there's, I feel like we could do a top ten for every genre of music. I mean, I have a couple genres that didn't make it on, like hip hop and rap, with like uh, Thirty Six Chambers is one of my favorite albums from Wu Tang. Um, the uh, Black Magic from Swollen Members. Um, 
Nas and Damian Marley's Distant Relatives was one of the really close ones that I had a hard time not putting on there. But it does have a few songs that kind of dip, and so on the whole, I'm, you know, it, it doesn't quite make it. But then there's other genres, like uh, my favorite Seager Rose album, uh, I didn't put on there. It's basically like a number 11 or 12 on my list. Mm. Just that, But that's a whole other genre that's completely not represented in my top 10. But yeah, if I'm trimming it down that close, it just barely doesn't make the cut. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, before we, we dive into the top ten, what are you drinking today, Matt? Uh, well, I'm finishing off a can of Revision Brewing's Hop in a Can, which is a Northeast-style hazy triple IPA, which basically means it's an IPA that's hazy, that has a lot more hops and a lot more alcohol. Mm. Uh and it's out of Sparks, Nevada. It's one of my favorite breweries. Oh, and so it's just Northeast in style only. Northeast in style, which is basically what people are calling hazy IPAs. Oh, okay. Northeast style IPA. But I'm about to finish that, and I'm opening up a Varsteiner Oktoberfest because uh, it is the season, and I haven't had it in a long time, and I couldn't remember if I liked it, so I just bought a bottle and oh. figured what the hell. There you go. Well, well, do, do you first. like it? Huh? Do you like it? Uh, let's find out. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Very lagery. You were telling me earlier that Oktoberfest is actually in September. Oh, yeah. the um, I, I forget off the top of my head all the details to it, but uh, the German Oktoberfest mostly happens in September. Uh, I think it has something to do with the actual name of the festival deriving from a time of year rather than the months on the calendar. Uh, but it centers around uh, the uh, celebration of a historic festival that happened at that time of year. Uh, so if you're going to Oktoberfest, make sure you're making your plans for September, not October. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the uh, the more you know little <laughs> jingle <laughs> that I butchered. I could almost see the star crossing. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Well, um, you, do you want to dive into this, or do you have anything else before, before we get rolling Um, here? fuck it, let's just dive in. There's so many things that didn't make the list that I will probably want to talk about, but we should just get into it. Alright, well go for it, man. Lead us off. Number ten. My number ten is the almighty trigger happies, mm. I'll shut up when you fuck off. Oh, that's a great one. It is a, I would call it a punk rock masterpiece. It's only ten songs. It's a pretty short album, uh, but it's just from beginning to end, relentless and fast and loud. They have really amazing hum- uh, uh, lyrics and like a good sense of humor. And They're Canadian, of course they, they are. They are Canadian, yes. Uh, so lots of tongue-in-cheek stuff. But it was one of those albums that I, when I heard it, like completely changed the scope of music for me. Like being that we are so into punk rock, it's like the newer schools, the nineties. That's the album when the I mean the first time you even hear like the first like ten seconds, it's just like, oh shit. Yeah, it's intense and it's and it's something that sets itself apart. Even when I listen to it today, even in context of all the other good albums and great albums of the time and that have come before and since it still stands out and I love it and I can listen to it over and over and over again. You know, I basically have to stop myself from listening to it over and over to move on to something else and give the rest of my record collection a fair shot. Yeah. Uh, And it's sadly, though, one of the 
the top bands I really wish I could have seen live. I never yeah. like, had the appreciation at the right time and never got a chance to see them. Even, they reunited in like 2004 or something for a little oh, bit, but... You know, yeah, that's, a, that's know. a great one. That's a great one. And um, similarly, my album, my number 10, is, is from a band that I wish I had seen live. Actually, the only band on my top 10 that I never saw live. Really? Um, and from, from kind of the same time frame, mine is Whippersnapper, America's Favorite Pastor. <laughs> so, oh, yes, I think, you know. honestly, both these bands are bands that, like, I feel like they should have been bigger than, than they were, ultimately. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, Whippersnapper was a melodic punk band from Georgia in the late 90s, and we were actually on them early, because you and I, for people who don't know, we, we um, started and, and did, like, a little independent music magazine back in the day, back when we were in junior high, high school. Today, it would be a blog or something like yeah, that, but we were like going to Kinko's video and photoshopping and crap and um, stealing paper from Kinko's and all that, and uh, um, reviewing CDs, and, and interviewing bands and reviewing CDs, and Whippersnapper somehow, do you remember, they sent us a box. Oh yeah, I, st- I might still have the shirt that they sent Yeah, us. so they, I mean, they were a band, this is, I think even before they signed to a label, they sent us a box of like demo tapes, t-shirts, stickers, and I remember you, me, Mike, Fernando, we all got together, and we basically had, like, a draft of, like, picking different things from the box, so (laughs) we were on them early. Well, those Um, were the days where everything's done through the mail, like, the internet wasn't that big yet, I mean, that's like why we were doing a paper fucking magazine, Yeah, unheard of these days, and, like, passing them out at shows, passing them out at school, things like that, but yeah, we got all kinds of shit sent to us. Yeah, so, like... This is their debut album, and we, I mean, we had the demo tapes that a lot of them went on to this album. This was their, you know, their first album, obviously. It was, and to me, it's kind of like that, that late 90s, melodic, skate punk perfection. I mean, yeah. um, it, it really is, and it's like, you just wonder, maybe they just didn't get on a warp Tour in time right. to, to, you know, expo- get exposure to, to more people. They're on a relatively small label at Lobster Records out of Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, and they, but they were just so great. I actually have a really great memory of listening to that album. When I went on the road with a band in college, we played a few shows down in Oregon and California. A very not successful tour. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for a very small college band. But Didn't you poop your pants? <laughs> <laughs> That, that there are times when every grown man shits his pants, I believe. Not that everybody shares it. Uh, but um, that's a whole other story. It has nothing to do with what <laughs> We'll tell that another time. Uh, but no, we, we stopped in Northern California, just over the border from Oregon, and uh, it was terrible because we were in a van and we had like no room, we had nowhere to stay, so we just slept in the van. The two other dudes slept in the front seats, and I climbed on top of the bass amp, which was just big enough for me to lay on top of in the back of the van, and slept there. Woke up really early in the morning with all the mist coming in on the ocean, uh, from the ocean onto the beach, and I put that album on as we started driving, like at like six in the morning. Fuck yeah! And it comes in with a really like glory days. Yeah, it comes in with a really. Uh, um, sort of ethereal sound uh, 
like very mystic sounding at the beginning as the fast drums come in and it's just it sounds like the star it sounds like a sunrise yeah. basically in punk in melodic punk rock terms. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, um I can I can still put this in, sing every song. It just never gets stale. I, I, I love the guitar work on this is awesome. There's always kind of like dueling guitars, there's dueling a lot of dueling vocals. Uh just a just a great Yeah, thing. they had a lot going on. I'm really yeah. sad they didn't get bigger. Yeah. Yeah, good. No doubt. What about what do you have for? Uh, oh, by the way, I'm drinking. Oh, yeah, what are you drinking? Reed's uh, extra ginger brew, ginger beer. That's one of my favorite ginger beers to make Moscow mules with. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of vodka, a little bit of ice, and about a dash of a splash beer. of this. It's it's uh, it's like sweeter than I remember it. I remember it being like hotter. Well, I, like, I like more of a hotter but, ginger beer. This then you probably want okay. like cock and bowl. That's what I want. Cotton yeah. Bowl's a good brand if you like spicy ginger beer. That's you, yeah, I like the spice. But it's still sweet. Yeah. Anyways, what's uh, number nine for you? Number nine. Okay. So my number nine uh, is the Beatles' Abbey Road. Oh yeah. And this was a really difficult decision for me because I had a lot of those older rock albums. Uh, obviously, when you're talking about the Beatles, like you start to think of commercial influence, their influence on rock and roll in general, on music in general, is just so profound and, like, completely uh, humongous. And I really just went with the album that I love the most and that meant the most to me. Uh, it was tight between Rubber Soul, white, the White Album, and Revolver was probably the closest one to be putting on there. Mm. But this album, in a lot of ways... Uh, kind of set the tone for what I like musically because it has everything from like ballads to straight up rock and roll songs. It has all the elements of the Beatles in there with the exception of maybe some of their wackiest stuff like the sitars and the drug crazed like right. Sergeant when they start doing LSD tour era. Um, but it's got like every one of the songwriters has a hand in, in the tracks on the album. You get a nice dose of batshit crazy Ringo in the Octopus's Garden, which, seriously, what is the obsession with this dude and living underwater? It's like, <laughs> he, you know, Yellow Submarine, uh, Octopus's Garden, he's so heavily involved in all these really weird scenarios of living underwater. Maybe he just had some sort of acid trip that fucking turned his, uh, his idea for a, for a utopian society into something underwater. Yeah. That dude's fucking crazy. Um, but it's just a great album from beginning to end. I used to listen to it on the record player because obviously my parents had it, uh, as a kid all the time. Um, so many great sing-along songs. Um, yeah, it influenced uh, so much in my life and has some of those real fucking great rock songs. That's a great one. Yeah. It also, I want to sidebar this with a little conversation about, or at least like a, a point about uh, Rolling Stone. I think their fucking top album shit is absolutely garbage. Even when you take in commercial success and all that. They said Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was the greatest album ever made. The greatest album of all time. I mean, even just with the Beatles albums, that seems like a dubious choice. Yeah. And their list is just, I mean, I know it's hard to compile a, I mean, even just a top ten, let alone a hundred, taking in all those factors, but, man, they've really fucking swung and missed on that shit. Really? I absolutely hate Rolling Stone's classifications of great albums. Yeah. 
But anyways, I digress. What's your number I nine? hear you. I hear you. Uh, my number nine is <clears throat> um, Haas by Lagwagon. Ooh. Um, I've always loved Lagwagon. Um, going back to uh, Santa Barbara. They're from Santa Barbara. But um, I've, always, I've always just loved Lagwagon, man. They were kind of like um, quintessential 90s punk band. And, you know, one of them. And this is, this is for me... Kind of their definitive album, and I've gone, I've gone, kind of, I've yeah, I've transitioned definitive. Yeah, I've kind of, I, I mean, I've, depending on who you are, you might like one of the other albums more, but that's definitely the definitive album. Yeah, so like early on when I when I was listening to Dragon <coughs> in, in junior high, um, my favorite album was Trashed, and then and then it uh, for a, a long time actually my my favorite Live Wagon album was Let's, Let's Talk About Feelings. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's a, that's awesome. Um, but you know, I don't know what it is, something. More recently, actually, within the past, like, three or four years, I've kind of gone back to Haas, and I've listened to a lot more, and it's kind of just become um, kind of my staple lag wagon. No so, shit. Yeah. Um, so what hits you at number eight? Number eight, I've got The Descendants, Everything Sucks. Ah, uh, yeah. So. That was a close call for my list. Oh, man. I, I love The Descendants. To me, they're kind of like the, uh, the just the perfect all-around pop-punk band. They can sing about serious things they can sing about love or heartbreak and then they can just turn around and sing about like cheeseburgers and coffee or you know what i mean they can they can be silly they can be serious they can be in the middle but uh they can be um you know fast and aggressive or they can be like more melodic they can, yeah. they just blend a lot of things and um they're honestly they're one of the most influential bands of all time oh fuck yeah i mean if you look at any i was looking at a lot of uh top 10 punk album yes yeah. things you know where you've got like the germs and crass and you know the ramones things like that and most of them included milo goes to college on their t like top 10 yes. 20 important punk albums so and i actually like everything sucks more than milo goes to college well same and, and, and that's the thing is like these guys have been making music together longer than i've been alive i mean they formed in 1977 <laughs> and i'll be seeing them um in in a couple weeks, and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, that's just how much of an impact these guys have. Is they're playing shows like forty yeah, years into their to career, see guys that are like pushing fifty over here. Oh, uh, maybe even older. I'm not sure, but I mean, like, um, I think you know, if you and I were ten years older, I think you know, yeah, we'd have Milo goes to college or I don't want to grow up on this list. Yeah, and those are awesome records. But for me. It was this one makes the list because this is the this is the first time I really heard the Descendants. This came out in 1996, and for most people, like older punkers and stuff like that, this was like um, an, uh, this album dropped like after like a 10 year hiatus for these guys. Yeah. So it was really celebrated at the time, but for us, like it was kind of our more of our first introduction to the band, and then we kind of went backwards and heard some of that 80s stuff, which is yeah. which is great. Like that stuff holds up. And I, I love those records too, but this one just has more of like a special place because of because it was yeah, the first I heard those guys. It's more your favorite. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, just a just an awesome, awesome, awesome record. Uh, I love it. Uh, my number eight is the Nine Inch Nails, the Downward Spiral. Yes, the Nine Inch, nine the inch nine Nails. The Nine Inch Nails. The Nine Inch Nails. They're from Cleveland. Um, they so I am a big fan of concept albums. In fact. Uh, there's several concept albums that I really like that didn't make the list, uh, but this one's particularly interesting because it's kind of the whole idea, I guess, is that it's the destruction of a man starting with his beginning downward.
downward spiral. It it plays off of themes of drugs and alcohol use and, and uh, Trent Reznor's own depression and things like that. Dark thoughts and so forth. And ends with the suicide, which is completed by the song Hurt, which we talked about in our uh, cover songs episode. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the most beautiful and like really impactful songs that I've ever heard. And I love how this album spans everything from like hard rock and in the uh, burgeoning industrial stuff, uh, at least in America at the time, in the 90s, early 90s especially, and then goes to like kind of a techno-y thing with Closer and all sorts of different stuff. I mean... Uh, and some of the really cool things, <laughs> of, depending on how you look at it, uh, that made this uh, album have such an atmosphere to it was the use of all the different instruments and techniques. But apparently Trent Reznor moved into the, the Tate house where Sharon Tate got murdered really? by the Manson family at when he started this record and like built the studio that he called Le Pig in that house. And he lived in it throughout the I never knew that. And... They recorded uh, uh, Marilyn Manson's Portrait of American Family in that in that house too. Whoa. So it kind of like it makes so much sense in thinking about the theme and the feel and the sound of those kinds of albums, especially this one. Uh, when you think of where it was actually fucking recorded, that's crazy. Uh, and it had been a little controversial here and there, but it was more just like a fascination thing for him. He wasn't trying to exploit it. At least that's what he says. And I'm sure, um, it's a nice house. But it also <laughs> it also really bridged a gap for me uh, in because at the time we're still young. I think it was like junior high when it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's connecting me to some of the '80s electronic stuff, some of the '90s you know hard rock stuff that was going on in the mainstream. But it also was connecting me to things like KMFDM and a lot of David Bowie stuff I got more into because it was a big influence on that. Right. Uh, Depeche Mode, Ministry, jumping back and forth from all these different influences and kind of expanded my Opened some doors for in you. a different direction. And it's just a great fucking album. From yeah. beginning to end, it it kind of follows a logical path when you listen to it. And it's a very emotional album. It's, yeah, it's I like that album dark. too. I actually I really love dark stuff, dark themes, horror movies, edgy and dark music, heavy metal. So sure, it played to a lot of my interests in a really amazing way. I like that album too. I would actually, in terms of nationalities, I think I prefer Pretty Hate Machine. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, Downward Spiral is a is a good album. Well, and for me, especially since you bring up Pretty Hate Machine, it. Uh, it for me is the sweet spot between like where it started and where it is now. Right. And it's got all the best elements of the pretty hate machine era and the stuff that's happened since then with like the fragile and mm. with teeth and all that. Yeah, sorts good of point. Things. Good point. So Yeah, like Mar March of the Pigs would fit on Pretty Hate Machine. You know, like yeah. uh okay. Um number seven? seven? Yeah. Uh, my my number seven is um, the Wonder Years, uh, Suburbia. I've given you all, and now I'm nothing. Uh, uh, yeah. This is the the newest album on my list. Um, came out in 2011, um, but such a breath of fresh air for me. Like, um, you know, obviously I, I still like punk rock, but so many of the newer punk rock bands these days come off like they're a cross between. Um, newfound glory and like the disney channel you know what i mean they're just like just kind of like cheesy overproduced 
Um, but you know this this band just destroys. It's uh, it's honest. There's there's introspective lyrics, relatable themes, and just huge hooky songs. Um, there's just so much emotion in this band, and it comes across on the album so well. This album was actually recorded by uh, Steve Evans, and um, who's Steve Evans? Uh, so he he produced a lot of stuff. He produced another album um, that that we'll talk about later on my list. But he he did a lot of like the uh, uh, like mid '90s like Victory Records stuff, like Inside, oh, like hardcore albums and shit, Snapcase. Yeah, okay. he did a lot of that. Like he did a pop punk album. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a pop punk album. But there's there's definitely some like. Well, Some makes, hardcore roots down there. Well, it explains why this album has a little bit more grit to it. Yes. Like, in just a little... Exactly. Like, and, and, and I read um, an interview with the, the singer of the band who said, Dan Campbell, who said, like, he made us do so many takes. He wanted everything to be perfect. Like, there was a couple <laughs> times where we were, like, like, Dan was, like, throwing up after takes because of how much he was bringing out of these guys. And it, it comes across, man. Like, this album is... It's, it's just awesome. He, Dan Dan Campbell talks a lot on this album about sadness, loneliness of life on the road, and, and just kind of it's just it's just relatable. Um, and it comes out of the gate so hard. Like the first three songs on this album, came out swinging, woke up older, and local man ruins everything. For me, the three best opening tracks to start an album. Like it just comes oh, out of the gate. It just with with so personable. much. Yes, it's 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 an awesome it's an awesome album, um, and uh, one of my one of my favorite bands and one of the kind of newer bands that I, that I really really like. It's nice to get a uh, uh, a band or an album that is new and actually hits strikes a chord with you that early on. Hundred percent. I got one on my list that'll be like that later on. Yeah. What about you? What's uh, is this your number seven? Yeah, number seven. So this is one that I kind of went back and forth on. Like I came real close to putting something else in there, but it's the streets. Everything, uh, everything else is just borrowed. Mm. Uh, it's a really mellow album. Um, it's a bit of a departure from his other stuff, uh, where it was more like dance hall club music, and it's more like pop and uh and i don't know like mainstream rock oriented in some ways um a little bit more radio friendly almost uh but it's still very quintessential streets in the way that it's like music set to spoken word Mm. uh and i really like his style i've been a big fan of all his stuff um and this is the album where he's kind of like coming into adulthood He's not, his songs aren't about like partying and drugs and all sorts of shenanigans he gets into. It's a little bit more reflective and in a lot of ways a little more dark. Um, And I had some second thoughts because the critical reception, not that I necessarily took it into uh, consideration, but was largely negative on his lyrics and like the lack of great lyrics. And it kind of goes back and forth. There's definitely some regrettable lines and things where it's not probably not as deep as it could have been or very thought out but there's others where it just it kind of hits home really hard but it's and it's usually really simple lines uh really basic contemplations about the the proliferation of uh of religion um of his 
realization that the only thing that matters is the people that love you and, you know, that love is really all you can leave the world with when you die. It's the only thing guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I listen to that album all the time. It's really easy to listen to when I'm in a mellow or melancholy mood. It's a really good album to put on. Uh, it probably is the thing that kicked the Seeker Rose album off of my list mm. for that sort of really moody music uh, uh, spot on there. Um, and I don't know, for me, it's like the pinnacle. It's like where he reached his peak. He did a little bit of stuff after that, and I think that was filler. And the yeah. stuff before it was great. It was really jamming, but it was a little bit more uh, abrasive. And on the whole, those albums weren't quite as cohesive as this one. Like you talked about before, this is an example of where he got the most cohesive and musically sound album of all of his stuff. With some really catchy hooks. And there's a really cool video for the final song called The Escapist, where he walked from uh, Dover in South England, took the ferry, and walked all the way to Cannes in the south of France. Like 770 miles. He walked the He whole really thing. did it? Yeah, he walked the whole thing. Dang. I don't, you know, I, I haven't listened to a lot of him, but he seems like he kind of, like, crosses a lot of genres. Oh, he absolutely does. And even just this album, it really cl- crosses a lot of things, from, like, a little bit of his dancey club music to, like, uh, symphonic, slow-tempoed uh, uh, orchestral music to, like, something that's a little bit more sitar-driven and, like, and spooky. It's just really all <laughs> over the place. Uh, but it all kind of like comes together well on this album. But even in his previous stuff, he's a really big proponent of making extremely creative beats and putting creative sounds together. Uh, so it's very unusual music. Yeah. Um, it's really big in England and sadly not that big here. But it can be a little tough to get into because it's not like traditional rap or hip-hop. It comes off a lot more like spoken word. It's basically musical poetry. Right. As opposed to being like music that is based off of poetry. Just literally poetry. Yeah. Like he yeah. doesn't really sing. It's very spoken. Yeah. What's well, your number seven? Uh, I did my number seven already. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, then we're on to number six. We're at number six. My number six is uh, The Get Up Kids, Something to Write Home About. Mm. Um, this is their second album. It came out in 1999. Um, their first album, Four Minute Mile, is great too, but man, this album is just so damn good. Oh, it's very complete. Um, it's funny. I I, I, think, <coughs> I tend to think of this more as kind of like a winter album. Like, <laughs> just it just has a darker feel. It's oh, a little I more melancholy. So much in my first year of college listening to that album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have you know synesthesia or anything like that, but I often find myself associating records or songs with seasons you know <laughs> uh and, and so this is still kind of in the in the punk rock genre but definitely more on the emo side and deservedly so because there's just so much raw emotion yeah. on this record yeah there definitely is i mean the final two songs on that record are just very very emotive more so than a lot of stuff i had heard up to that point especially in the genre mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they're basically the founders of emo right yeah, I don't know I mean, about the founders, but I mean, like, they're... they're case for, like, Jawbreaker and a couple sure. other bands, but Get Up Kids kind of made that mainstream. They're right, right? there. They're right there, for sure. I yeah. bet most emo or screamo bands would probably cite them as a huge influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, but they were always cool because I, I always really liked, like, the little bit of, you know, keyboards that they have mm-hmm. um, kind of mixed in. They, they just... Good they always kept it, kept it interesting, for sure, yeah. 
What about you? What's your number six? My number six is Maylene and the Sons of Disaster 3. 3, okay. Uh, it is, I think, their absolute best album. Their album afterwards was absolute garbage. Uh, but this was the pinnacle of their sound. They're kind of like a... Have you listened to them at all? Um, I've, I've only kind of heard them like with you. Um, so they're like a mix of... Uh, punk and metal and yeah, southern kind of southern rock. rock yeah, uh, I mean the album starts out with like cricket sounds and a banjo, and they use banjo in several places. They have some slide guitars on some of the later songs, especially at the end. Uh, there's a little bit of twangy stuff going on here and there, um, but their whole identity is southern rock, like very Leonard Skinner, ZZ Top influence kind of thing. A lot of those types of bands. So I always, I always. There's one song in particular that stands out for me when I think about these guys, and I'm going to try and, like, sing, hum it for you, and you can tell me, hopefully, what it is. It's like, it starts off as like, oh, yeah! It sounds like Just a Shock or something like that. Oh, man. That might be on this album. You know, I, it's funny, when you, when you talk or about, like... Darkest of Kin from the album before that. I think that's what it is. I yeah, think that's, that's what it is. that's one of my favorite songs. Of that song rips, dude, and, like... <laughs> I, you know when you have like specific memories tied to certain songs? Oh, yeah. That song I always think about. Um, it, I think it was uh, Mike's. Was it Mike's bachelor party when we went up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we were up at like uh, up at a cabin. And we were and we, at Peter's cabin. Up Peter's cabin. And, and, we, and, we, and we played football and I got hit in the head and got a concussion. Again. See, I don't, I don't even remember that. the next three months. I don't even remember that. Um, but I remember like pulling fresh crabs out of the water, eating oh, yeah. them, and then we were riding in the back of a pickup truck, like with our shirts off, blasting that song. And that that's that's kind of, that's always what I think about when I hear. Well, guys. for the time period, that sounds about right for yeah. the song I would have been listening to. I don't think this album was out then. Um, no, this is from uh, what from like two thousand nine or something. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I really like how they. Uh, a lot of people call this southern metal, but uh, a lot of the, the best name I like for it is Hillbilly Metal. Okay. Um, where it just, it mixes uh, a lot of those southern uh, stars and bars, good old American boys sort of uh, cultural things into the music a little bit. The one thing I don't like about Maylene is the fact that they're a Christian band that doesn't really jive with my worldview. But the thing that, uh, that kind of makes up for that is that this album is, uh, and up until this point, they had done such a good job, both lyrically and musically, that uh, it kind of went seamlessly into the band and the music in a way where, like, it's not overtly religious. Right. Like, he's not sitting there singing Praise Jesus as a chorus line or something, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's a little bit more ambiguous than that, and it had, you know, uh, uh, the themes were there, but it's not quite so literal. And there's many bands that do that, and it made it makes it still enjoyable for me. after this definitely that was one of the biggest things that became a fault of it plus they i think they lost a guitar player and uh and really lost a lot of edge to the music and became much more poppy that's another thing about this one is that it expand it it spans from like some really uh riff driven like like metal and and dirty sound and cool fucking rock and roll riffs and stuff uh, to like some really mellow things where there's some slide guitar and other instruments in there. Mm. 
Uh, and there's even like one real poppy, like Bon Jovi sounding song with a talk box guitar solo in there to boot. <laughs> uh, but it's so fucking good. It's like one of those radio songs where you feel a little ashamed to listen to, but you're like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to sing it as loud as I can every time. Um, and so it has a little a bit of all the good elements of that band. Yeah. Uh, and even on, I, I've been shit-talking their album after that because it's fucking terrible, but there is, like, one good song on there, and basically that's the, the element of, of their later work that's in this one. Um, but, yeah, I, I listen to that album all the time. I can listen to it. Over and over. Have you seen him live? Time. I've never seen him live, and mm-hmm. I won't do it now because I actually not only do I think the band sucks at this point, but <laughs> uh, the poor guy that sings in the band or sings slash screams in the band or, or growls, whatever you want to call it, um, the vocalist <laughs> Dallas Taylor, who a funny little side note is the original vocalist for Under Oath, oh. um, but had to leave the band for creative differences or whatever. Um, he got in like an ATV accident and was almost incapacitated and like oh. can't really function that well and he's having all sorts of problems I guess so I don't know that they're even still together and playing I think he's still in a place where he's got to deal with the, the repercussions from his injuries which is sad um, but yeah I don't think rock I'll, stars man I don't, yeah rock stars I don't think I'll have the opportunity to see them much less what I want to the desire point. yeah if I could have seen them in that era that would have been fucking awesome right right what about go go ahead do number five what do you got uh, so since we just talked about Maylene and their southern metal influences the main band that probably influenced them on that twinge is fucking Pantera yeah and Cowboys from Hell is my number five album. Awesome. So, um, most people probably say Vulgar, Vulgar Display of Powers, their most important one. That's my favorite Pantera for sure. But I love Cowboys from Hell. It, like, it bridged the gap for me from, like, 80s hair metal and glam metal and all those goofy things going on to, like, power metal and the European stuff of the time, like, just connected so many genres, and I found something that I really loved. Like, it had the elements of, like, the thrash with, like, Slayer and 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 Metallica and Megadeth and things yeah. like that, but it also has some of the, like, the high-pitched vocal work, like Skid Row or, uh, you know, Helix or Motley Crue or something. Uh, it had elements of all these different things, but it just had so much brilliant guitar work awesome riffs uh who i think is the best guitarist of all time dimebag daryl just going away at it and just ripping off on every track all sorts of crazy guitar solos uh i think cemetery gates is the best metal ballad of all time uh where you get to see exactly how high philip Anselmo's voice goes well that was his first album right with pantera no, I don't think so. I think he was with them before that. But this is where this is also where they transitioned from being like a hair metal band yeah, that, to being an actual okay. like ripping metal band or a southern metal band if you want to right. call it. Right. Like that. I didn't even, I didn't know that until just like a couple of years ago. Like if you if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, "Hey, what's Pantera's first album?" I would have said Cowboys from Hell. Yeah. You know. Well, and uh I really like how this album uh it kind of mirrors the influences and the transformation of Black Sabbath. Like, to me, like, in most, like, traditional metal fans or, like, people who 
look at metal from the beginning of metal to where it is now, they'll be like, Black Sabbath is on their list where Pantera is on mine. And on most of the like, top metal albums lists, like Black Sabbath has most of the real estate on there with Metallica and a few others. But they, I guess earlier on in their history, they were really influenced by blues and stuff like that. And then like made a transition right where it gets real good. And that's, Pantera was kind of the same way. Like they were working on their sound and it really came into its own. And it was heavily influenced from like, Dimebag and Vinny both talk about how they went to a lot of blues bars when they were younger, and like, oh that's yeah, where they the got blues the has a huge influence. Their music, and then they they infused everything that they got their influences from with this like really gnarly metal sound and and lots of cool riffs, and just exploded into what their signature sound is. Mm-hmm. It's like where Pantera became Pantera that I know. Yeah, awesome. So my num- my number five also has sort of a a Pantera tie-in in that this was the band that kind of like opened the door to Pantera for me and it's strung out oh so strung out suburban teenage wasteland blues um obviously they've always been one of my favorite bands we grew up on kind of that fat records mid to late 90s punk rock and these guys are one of the pillars in the genre um and they kind of always stood out to me for having that the perfect blend of like melodic hardcore oh yeah um I'll be talking about them in a little bit. I'm sure you will. I knew you would. <laughs> it was it was a toss up between this album and Twisted by Design. But and why did you choose this one instead of Twisted by Design? Yeah, because there's been certain points, you know, in my life where Twisted I would say Twisted by Design I liked a little bit better. Um, I, I I've gone back to this one probably because it was like more of the the first time I heard Strung Out. It just kind of has a little bit more of that meaning to me, and and it also is a little bit of like a darker theme than, you know, Twisted by Design has a little bit more of like a, not poppier, but it is a little bit of like a lighter, like if we're talking about uh, like uh, seasons, like uh, Twisted by Design is more like spring and this is more fall, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, so I, I obviously I really like both of, both of these albums, but this one, just because of the time that I heard it, um, and I just think it holds up a little bit better now, um, and, and these guys... You know, like you said, opening doors. Like these guys are a punk band, but they kind of opened the door for me. Like, hey man, like in eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever, like you should you should check out Pantera. You should check out like early Metallica. Like, you know, it changes uh, when you're listening to that album. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, you I can, do you like can, the heavier elements. I do like the sound of the guitars and everything. And you can hear like like you can hear. I remember reading something like like a little press release or something when one of these talking about strung out that was sent by Fat Records or whatever, that's like, these guys love listening to Pantera and smoking bowls. And I'm like, oh, Pantera, I should, I should check those guys out. So, uh, yeah, um, Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues, number five. Uh, so my number four is in the same genre, in a way. It is Propagandi mm. Victory Lap, Ooh. which is an album that just came out this yeah, year. Yeah, I did. And I... I couldn't help but put it on here. I love this album so much. It probably seems unconscionable to most people to put that new of an album on your top ten list, but I have been listening to it nonstop. I listen to it almost like every, I'd say every other day. Like when I sit down and I need to focus on doing some work and I have some music on, it's always the first thing I put on now. 
damn. And uh, I that's think, high praise because they have so many good albums. I know, and I thought about that. Like it's hard not to put. Um, uh, Is it the only propaganda on your list? I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. It's hard not to put today's empires, tomorrow's ashes, because mm-hmm. that album is so good. But this one just has uh, all the great elements of the band throughout their work. It has the melodies. It has the sing along stuff. It has a really complex lyrics. It's got amazing guitar riffs. It, but it has an extra dose of um, of energy. Not only energy, but um, of weight of expression yeah like it, it just got a little bit more heaviness to it a little bit more introspection uh like because a lot of times propaganda is an extremely outspoken very leftist view if you want to call it that sort of band um which regardless of where you sit i think it's good to expose yourself to what's on every end of the spectrum because mm-hmm. uh, it helps you form a better worldview if you have all the information um, but a lot of times their thing has been talking about issues and talking about how they think things should be done and how you should treat those issues and on this album it's still got all those trademark things but it's also got some self-evaluation there was an interview I was reading where he's like a lot of people nowadays are tired of hearing uh, you know, white men talk about things and complain, and frankly, I'm tired of hearing myself a white man complain, so it, it has me looking at myself and evaluating a little bit, and uh, kind of just, like, adds a little bit more relatability to a propaganda album, and you get a piece of them in the, in the music a little bit, so you connect even a little more than you would if you enjoyed any of the other stuff. And it's just fucking great from beginning to end. And it oh, it's some rips. Matthew's it's... stuff on it. Yeah. It's got some ripping guitar riffs, a little double pedal in there. It's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, um, it's that's a great record. It's definitely one of my favorite records last year. Yeah. The second Canadian band for your list. It is. <laughs> and uh, the other nice little tidbit is that uh, Jason Livermore is involved in re- recording the mm. song, who's one of the two guys that owns the Blasting Room. Yeah. The other being Bill Stevenson of yep. All in Descendants. That's uh, awesome. And he, he, pretty much anything he gets his hands on Gold. ends up being awesome. All our, Most of our favorite punk albums of the last like 10 years have been in some way connected to that. For sure, yeah. <coughs> um, my number four is uh, the oldest album on my list. It's um, the Blue Album by Weezer. Oh, so I didn't even realize that was probably going to come up. Yeah, so I mean, this this came out in 1994. Uh, we were 12 years old and just kind of starting to to branch out on my own in terms of music. I distinctly remember my mom taking me to Target and buying me two <laughs> cassette tapes. Nice. On the same day, it was and yes, I owned this on cassette tape. So it was this album and Smash by The Offspring. Um, I haven't it's listened a good to that day at Target with mom in a long time, but I still listen to this. I mean, this—that's you know—you're talking almost 25 years ago, and I, I still listen to this album regularly. Um, it's self-titled. Everyone calls it the Blue Album, and it's funny because uh, I wanted to buy this album because I had heard you know their their single on on 107.7 The End, the local rock radio station, the the Sweater Song was their single, and you look at this album, and that's probably like the worst song on the album. Yeah. Um. You know, um, it's it's not a bad song. I still I, I like all the songs on this album, um, but and, and and my name is Jonas is one of my favorite like 
opening tracks to any album. <laughs> but um, I, I I love Weezer. Uh, well, I love I love early Weezer. Like it's funny because I love this album, and then Pinkerton also got a lot of uh, consideration for the list. It was a, a, t- a tough omission for me. Also, another great album. This one, I just like the more straight ahead kind of pop rock. I mean, you you know, Rick Ocasek from the Cars produced this album, which is like. Um, oh no shit that makes so doesn't much it make sense. so much sense yeah it's like um and you, you, you can hear that vibe for sure um and i just kind of like this album is a little bit lighter <laughs> a little bit more straightforward than than pinkerton which is more melancholy it's a little more avant-garde that too yeah so more indie rock than it is pop rock yeah um yeah, Weezer, so Weezer, like, Pinkerton came out, they kind of went into hiatus, and then everyone was, like, really anticipating their comeback, and for me, their comeback has just been, like, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Well, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but, like, the Green album, I was just, like, disappointed by it, and I was like, but whatever, I can live with the, like, overtly poppiness of it, whatever. Right. It, it, if somebody has it on, I'm going to be annoyed, but not, like, upset, but after that, everything after that has been god fucking awful, and it gets bad. worse with each one. Yeah, it really it's does. So transparent. It really does. Like cheesy, corny. Yeah. Like you could put together like a good like co- like compilation of their, you know, green Better album songs on those albums. Yeah, but yeah. you know, uh, there hasn't been a single album they've released since Pinkerton where I've been like, man, that's a that's a great album. Yeah, like I need to listen to that. Yeah, Real bad. but I still go back to the blue album all the time, and, and it still holds up. So that's awesome. Yeah. What are you on? Number four or three? I think we're on three now. Yeah, number three. What do you got? Uh, my number three is "Darkest Hour," "Undoing Ruin." Nice. Uh, it's one of my all-time, obviously all-time favorite metal albums. Um, this was an album that just open my eyes to the shred like to the seriously like amazing solos and complex guitar and just fast and loud and shredding music um it's funny because it came at a time where a lot of my other favorite metal albums were at like my favorite children of bodom favorite black dahlia murder favorite arch enemy favorite uh nevermore albums all came out the same year same time frame wow um but it just... Was that like 2002, 2000? I think it was 2005 or something. Oh, okay. Um, but this thing is just great from beginning to end. It's got a lot of dark emotion in it. It's recorded in Vancouver, so like, there's a certain uh, you know, hometown area uh, kind of influence to it, which is kind of neat. Um, and it's just it's heavy, it's thrashy. It is relentless and has some of my favorite guitar solos ever. Like District Divided, uh, Sound the Surrenders, got one of the best fucking uh, solos ever, um, in my opinion, with like lots of uh, what do you call it, arpeggiated solos and things like that. A lot of sweeping stuff. Tranquil, the last song, is full of awesome guitar licks. It's just like a guitar player's dream, this album. Um, and the guy, uh, Chris uh, Norris, 
was the the key songwriter musically on this album and just totally made it what it is. Mm. They did another album after that was uh, I felt a little bit of carbon copy, like same formula and like almost had the same arc to it, but wasn't quite as good and definitely not as original. And they left the band after. So for me, this is the pinnacle of that band. Uh, and I don't think any of their other albums. With the exception of Hidden Hands of the Sadist Nation, uh, really come close to being as complete and memorable. And I, I re-listen to this all the time. Yeah, as yeah, it's one of my favorite albums ever, and it's, it's that's awesome, man. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. It even made the Billboard charts, number one thirty-eight. Nice for all you Misfits fans. Yeah. Fun little thing. Yeah. Um. Well, my number three is a Wilhelm Scream, Mute Print. Um, one of my all-time favorite. That was favorite a close bands. one for me on this list. It didn't make it. No. I thought it. I thought we might match no. up here. So, uh, one of my all-time favorite bands. <laughs> I've been listening to these guys for so long back when they were called Smack and Isaiah. Another band that I discovered through you know us putting out our, our little little punk rock magazine publications. Um, and all, I mean, I, all their albums are great, but this is my favorite. To me. These guys just have uh, the perfect blend of like aggression and melody. Every song just rips. No pun intended. <laughs> Track six is called the rip. And like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, this was recorded uh, by Jason Livermore and Bill Stevenson at the Blasting Room. Like I so, said, they everything they touch. It's amazing. Yes. Um, these guys allegedly are going to go in the studio and record a new album soon. Really? Uh, that's what I read recently online, which. They, they typically go like five or six years between albums, which yeah. um, really makes you want it even more, but also probably makes them even better because you know they're putting yeah. everything into it. Well, These guys are playing with the Descendants at that show I referenced, and they're opening up for them, and I couldn't be more excited. Have you ever heard their, what their at least at the time of making this and the subsequent record, what their philosophy was? No. They would say more is more. They like if they would put everything they could into the song, and then they would just try to add more and more and more. That makes more sense. More melody, more time, tempo changes, more riffs, just like piled upon each other. It's yeah. Just fucking a great approach to make a very well trod genre sound even better. That makes um, sense because everything is so layered. Everything is technical. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you know. Sometimes you have bands where it's like, oh man, the guitar player really stands out, or the drummer really stands out. These guys. Everyone is like at the top of their game, and they're oh, just yeah. like all going at the same time. And it's amazing you can still, when it's that complex, you can still sing along to it. Yeah. Uh, I have an interesting tidbit and a great, great memories from this album. Not only because it's one of my favorites, like just below this top ten, but uh, our good friend Scott Culver, friend, uh, of, friend uh, of the pod, uh, actual friend of the pod, actual friend of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, directed a couple videos for them, and I got to work on those videos. Hell yeah! Uh, and my old uh, 1991 Toyota Previa even made it into one of the videos. Yes! If you look real closely, you will see it. Uh, but it was a great experience. Those guys were so fun and awesome, and uh, they, I couldn't believe how much energy they put into making a music video. I've been around quite a few music videos in one capacity or another. Um, when I was in L.A. and living there and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with myself. Help Scott on a lot of videos in one way or another and just got to see how different people act and how they what they put into it. And these guys, like, they're relentless. They, it's, it's like they're playing an actual live show. It's amazing. That's awesome. 
We saw them live together, didn't we? Over in We did. We did see them live. We took a ferry to go see those dudes live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you got for number two? My number two is Strung Out Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues, which you have already mentioned. Uh, but this was my favorite album for a long, 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 long time. Uh, it still yep. is, is right up there next to it, but it's number two now. Um, I l- very much like you uh, was heavily influenced by this uh, when it came out and opened up a lot of doors for punk rock and for metal, and both in the way it was composed and the sound. I love how the guitar sound. I still have never heard any guitar quite tweaked like it is on that album. It mm-hmm. sounds like a cross between uh, a chainsaw and a laser beam. <laughs> it's just it's just really searing like amazing guitar sound uh and it's just so fast and uh lyrically complex uh but with just incredible melodies i think it's where uh jason the singer's voice was at its peak and Mm -hmm. it's it's amazingly fast but you can still sing along to it uh they understood how to grab pieces of punk rock pieces of heavy metal and pieces of of pop music and put them together into their own version of the sound and the the technicality of of these guys music musicianship is uh unquestionable and solid from beginning to end like every song is great i can still sing along to every little last bit uh it's just one of those most amazing albums and not only does it have great guitar work great vocal work but the album starts with an awesome bass line Mm. When Jim Terry was still at the band and just doing the stuff that you just wouldn't hear, especially in punk rock, like a bass being highlighted in Complex. Uh, like, hearkening back to Propaganda, like, that's another thing I liked about Victory Lap, is there's some really unique bass work on there. And that is almost unheard of. And then you have, especially with the last track, the drum work is insane. Like well, they're on Fat Records. Fat Mike is a bassist, man. He likes to highlight that stuff. <laughs> he looks out for good bassists. <laughs> and I, I got to see them on the... T- I got to see Strung Out on the tour after this, the Twisted by Design tour, when they were on the Warp tour, and see them play live. And it's just... I uh, got to see them almost in the same era, pretty much the same era, and just... It, it's amazing seeing a band that does what they do on record as good, if not better, live. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're just... They're exceptionally great. Yeah. Uh, in the realm of that that kind of music and holds a special place in my heart because my favorite for a long I time I know the songs on their radio suicide used to be my favorite song i mean it's just been a, a part of a part of me for ever since the moment yeah I heard it. there's no doubt yeah are you on number two <clears throat> yeah my number two um is gatsby's american dream volcano mm-hmm. um obviously you and i have really close ties to this band um, we, we grew up with the lead singer, Nick Newsham, and he was in, actually, shout out, our band, uh, before he was in this band. <laughs> <laughs> One that he probably regrets us mentioning. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, this, this is, this is my, my all-time favorite band. Even though it's my second favorite record, they're, you know, overall, they're my, my all-time favorite band. Um, this was their third record, and Why probably... this one over the other ones? Uh, yeah, because in the past I've, I've listed Ribbons and Sugar as more of my favorite, but this one just, I feel, is more more complete. It's a little bit more um, polished in terms of the production, the sound. Um, and, and when I say complete, I mean, the whole, the whole record is, is a concept album. 
around the story of Pompeii and kind of the parallels between human emotion and a volcano. Um, obviously, with a band like Gatsby's American Dream, there's a lot of literary references throughout, you know, within the lyrics, within the song titles. And this album definitely draws inspiration from Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Rings, <coughs> Orson Scott Card novels. Um, and so while they're a, a punk band at their core... They're a nerds band. Well, yeah, yeah. But but um, Gatsby's American Dream has always sort of had an avant-garde feel. Oh, um, yeah. Most of their songs don't have the typical verse-course-verse structure. And so they've, they've always felt fresh. They, they felt ahead of their time back then. And to this day, they really still hold up and feel fresh 10, 15 years after the fact. Um, I mentioned... Yeah, in, that was released that long ago? Well, this was in 2005, and it was their Jesus. third album. So, you know, I mentioned in um, my uh, uh, the the cover cover songs episode we did that, that Nick Newsham is is one of my favorite vocalists. I've always loved his voice. Um, the dude could like sing the phone book, and I'd probably listen to it. Um, <laughs> but this album you should make him do that. Yeah, this album is great just because it, it's it is so cohesive. Most songs on this album have like a sister song, and so there's, like, callbacks or, like, foreshadowing kind of throughout, like, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll, like, take a line from this song and, like, drop it into, into the, this song, like, four songs later, and there's just, it, it's, it's so cohesive, um, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love this record. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's your number one? My number one is Saves the Day Through Being Cool. Oh. That's been my number one for a long time, man. I've probably listened to this album, I mean, uh, I don't know, 200 times. I don't know. But a ton. 200, it's got to be more than that. Maybe. It, so like many times. It just, it just never gets old. I mean, it's from 1999, and it just it holds up. It's still relevant, and it's one of those things where, like, to me, this says a lot. Like, I have a distinct memory of the first time I ever heard Saves a Day. I oh, was shit. riding in the back seat of Chris Michael's car. <laughs> he had like a, a awesome mix CD that he put together of like hip hop and emo music that Cody Votolato told him about. Um, and I, the podcast. I remember um, the first song I ever heard was Rocksonic's Juice Magic, and it was like nothing I had ever heard before. I, I remember just being like, "Dang!" because the lyricism is just so far away from what other bands were doing at the time. You know, you think of those, like, late 90s pop-punk, punk bands. There was yeah, a lot of, like, amateur... Games. Yeah, really, like, yeah. sophomoric lyrics, you know, when you're talking about, like, Blink-182 and shit like that. But this was... This stood out as, and still stands out of being just a couple notches above. I mean, you, you look at that song, and the, the first lyrics are, let me take this awkward saw, run it against your thighs, cut some flesh away, I'll carry this piece of you with me. And I was like... It's even got a little serial killer theme going Well, on. yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's, it's, dark. it's like dark, twisted, more poetic lyrics than anything I was listening to at the time. But a really cool contrast between that darker lyricism and kind of poppier, upbeat instrumentals. And that's something that has always kind of defined Saves a Day for me. Well, um, there's a lot of bands that came after them that used that sort of like dark theme set to really lighthearted music. Right. Paradigm. Yeah. So like, uh, you know... Suburbia, I've given you all and now nothing from the Wonder Years. Uh, Steve Evans also produced this album. And, and at that time, like, um, he was known for doing, like I said, like, Lifetime was probably the most similar band that he'd done, but, like, 
Ensign, Snapcase, Hatebreed, Dillinger, Escape Plan, and then all of a sudden he's got these 19-year-old kids. This album came out when they were 19 years old. Um, so, yeah, man, uh, that's my number one. What do you got? That's awesome. Uh, my number one is Parkway Drive Atlas. Uh, Parkway Drive is my all-time favorite band. They're a heavy metal band from Australia. Um, some might call it metalcore. Um, I don't really see it as metalcore. It, 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 uh, the majority of their career has been in the same time as, as bands that are defined as metalcore, uh, but they have a lot less uh, melodic choruses and a lot less like formulaic music than a lot of those bands, at least in my opinion. Um, but this is just heavy metal at its best for me. It's got uh, all the influences in there with its own new creativity. It's got great lyrics. Uh, there's a lot of themes about the current state of the world, uh, the ideas about how to move forward and be an effective individual in this world. It's very thoughtful, and it just has amazing guitar riffs, uh, insane drum work, there's good bass work to it. Every element of, um, of the instrumentation to the lyrics to the overall sound is just perfect to me from beginning to end. It's a perfect album for me. It spans a lot of emotions, it has a lot of ups and downs, um, and it's just, it's, I can't stop listening to it when I put it on. I always have to stop myself from listening to it on repeat and listen to some other things because otherwise I just listen to this album. <laughs> I never get tired of it. It was released in 2012 and I still listen to it probably every couple of weeks at the very least. Um, in, in the spectrum of Parkway Drive itself is, I think, a lot of people have been saying the album after that ire is a better one. I feel like that album's just a little too slow comparatively, um, although still amazing. Um, but it's like the perfect peak from where they started at and where I first got introduced to them in 2007's Horizons uh, was really raw and like super metal. Um, and then they kind of went like, really extra produced with Deep Blue when they got onto, I think that actually both those albums were on Epitaph. Mm. Um, and then this one was just like the pinnacle. There's a good amount of production, but there's still a lot of raw elements to it. Um, and they do what they do without, to me, sounding too derivative. It's really hard these days, especially in metal, uh, I think, to... It's really hard to not sound derivative of other things. Like... Most of the riffs that are out there, as Rob Zombie said on the documentary, have already been written by Black Sabbath. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's hard to be original. Uh, and a lot of times they aren't really even that original. They just do what they're doing so well, and they make it seem fresh. Um, some of my favorite little tidbits on this, too. Uh, they wanted to do a lot of, like, really interesting and very organic things. They wanted to, to make sounds in ways that just, like, came out of the ether more or less rather than like oh let's do a guitar part like this or let's model our drum movement after this and one of the weird things that came out of that is on the song dark days there's a sound at the beginning it sounds like somebody hammering on a bell like in a medieval town or something and it's actually just a guitarist hitting a pot with a spoon <laughs> and he like uh, you know did some effects on it to make it sound a little bit more uh, echoey and different, so you don't quite know, but that's what it is. And then there's a um, an 808-style sub-drop 
at the end, I think it's at the end of that song too, and the way he made the sound was he punched an acoustic guitar to get like a boom sound, and then just reversed it and added some effects and stuff. So there's wow. like all these just like little dinky creative things, but it they've worked it into the music, and it's kind of emblematic of the whole album. They're like experimenting and they're taking parts of things and doing it their own way. Um, obviously, not all of it's the weird kooky things like that um, but it also has my absolute favorite song of all time the blue and the gray it's the very last song on the album it's really epic it uh starts with some acoustic guitar and builds into this really epic big heavy metal song uh has a little bit of a uh trumpet horn blast in the beginning it sounds like a uh like a air raid horn going out over the beach or something it's just really emotive and really like it, it paints a picture for you and I read an interview with their um, vocalist and he was saying that uh, his name's Winston McLean by the way or no McCall <laughs> <laughs> not our friend Winston McLean but uh, Winston McCall and he was uh, talking about how that song like everybody gets a different picture in their mind from the beginning of that song but it does exactly what you want a great album to do is it paints a picture in your mind you relate to it in a certain way and but all those different ways that people relate to it it's all similarly similarly uh, uh expressive hmm. and uh there's actually a really great um piano version of that song this gal calls herself mystic from australia covers a bunch of different uh, metalcore bands and screamo bands and shit on piano. Does her songs on piano? That's a niche. Yeah, it's a really weird niche, but uh, she did a version of this song, a little uh, EP of all Parkway Drive songs, and uh, actually uh, had, had that played at the um, cocktail hour at my wedding. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's my favorite album. If you have any interest in metal, you got to listen to it. I think it's beautiful. It's perfect from beginning to end. It... It's special. It's really yeah. special. And it has great cover art, too. It's just black with a, a, a gray uh, picture of the Earth, um, which is being slightly eclipsed. It's awesome. Yeah, in, in and out, every way. That's awesome, dude. That, that, that wraps it up. Those are our top chance. I was expecting to hear Coheed and Cambria on your list. Yeah, that was a really tough omission on this list. Yeah. Uh... It's like that Seeger Rose one where it's just sitting on the cusp. It's in that short list that's in like the 11 to 15 area. Okay. And I didn't put it on there because it just hasn't had as much staying power as I thought it would. I, hear I you. still love that album. I listen to it every now and then. Um, and I love it. And it's still great from beginning to end. It has a lot of the elements that many of these other albums do. But it's just. It just hasn't sat in the rotation as much as I thought it would, yeah. and as much as these ones do. I mean, it's, like you said, it's extremely difficult to narrow down to ten. Absolutely. It's extremely difficult to put one over the other and not have misgivings about it. Um, that's the that's probably the one I had the hardest time taking off of this. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. There you go. What about... It is, it is, that's an album that meant so much to me. Yeah. What about Rancid? Which Rancid album came the closest? I thought about a lot of Rancid albums. I think that Let's Go would probably be the closest. Although their original album, self-titled, was pretty big for me. But Let's Go is... It's got all the elements of Rancid I like, and it's still pretty raw. I like yeah. a little bit more raw 
raw rancid than I do like Out Come the Wolves and Life Won't Wait and everything yeah. uh, in that era. But that's tough, man. I remember Let's Go. My cousin sent me Let's Go on cassette tape again for probably like my... I might still have a cassette tape of that. 12th birthday? Maybe 13th birthday? <laughs> Something nice. like that. And then... And then uh, and Outcome the Wolves was the first CD I bought after I got a CD player. No shit. Yep. Is there any albums that almost made the list that you think I wouldn't expect? Mm, for me? Mm, I mean, I really love um, Neutral Milk Hotel in an Airplane Over the Sea. Oh shit. Um, I didn't that, see that coming. Yeah, I mean, that that would be, in turn, like, I mean, my, my list was pretty, pretty much punk rock and then Weezer, so um, that <laughs> would be more, you know... Um, of an album that's more, you know, a little experimental college rock, kind of alt rock. Yeah. A, a feel. I really like that album. That that got some consideration for me. In terms of hip-hop, like I said, um, Wu-Tang Forever. I mean, Wu-Tang 36 Chambers is probably a better album, but Wu-Tang Forever, for it's me... It's favorite, right? Yeah, favorite. And it was it was one of those ones where it's like, it was one of the, the first kind of hip-hop albums I... That kind of got me into the genre, so it has a special place there. Um, the Chronic, The Chronic 2001 are both obviously classics. Nas, Illmatic. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that one a little bit. Uh, Outcast. I mean, there, there were definitely. Yeah, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music was a, a tough one to not have on the list. Yeah. Uh, the only other one that came really close that I wanted to talk about was Protege. Uh, Ancient Future, which is a uh, new school reggae album that I oh. really like. Yeah, it's like uh, post dance hall sort of. Well, maybe in reggae. season two we'll do our top ten favorite yeah. reggae albums. Yeah, maybe that'll come <laughs> to fruition. <laughs> awesome. Well, talk about Buju Bantan and fucking Peter Tosh and shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, might, might need a guest host for that one, but uh, that that wraps it up. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. You can subscribe to the We Rank Things podcast on iTunes, so go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. You and all your friends can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find more info about us on our podcast at WeRankThings.com, and you can let us know what you think about our rankings at WeRankThings on Twitter or at WeRankThingsPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the We Rank Things podcast.